for giving my spiritual father, Pastor Raymond, and spiritual mother, Mama Heather, for giving me an opportunity to share the Word of God this evening. Pastor Raymond is, as we speak, preaching in Fort Worth, Funky Town. Amen. Come on, somebody. You can do better than that. Come on now. He's representing the Funky Town tonight, right now as we speak. So we've been praying for him, and we'll continue to do so. And so we are here tonight, and I believe there's some people in the house that are interested in receiving a word. Amen. And I'm in that group as well. So if you guys are ready, let's go ahead and hit this root text real quick. We're going to be in Luke 17. As you're turning there, we're going to start in verse 5. Tonight's topic is access granted. Kingdom edition, amen? Kingdom edition. We're going to be coming out of Luke 17. Luke 17 is most notably remembered for the second advent, which you're going to see in the second half of that chapter. But tonight we're going to be in the beginning of that chapter. And so if you guys are ready, we're going to start in the fifth verse. The word of the Lord reads like this. It says, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep would say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat? And properly clothe yourselves and serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all things, somebody say all things, which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. For we have done only that which we ought to have done. If you'll join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be called sons and daughters this evening. Holy Ghost, we invite you into this talk tonight. We pray, Lord, that you would release a fresh anointing, fresh revelation and knowledge, and more importantly, the courage to apply this to our lives as we go forward from this place. As I decrease and you increase, that your word may go forth with no help from me at all. We give you all the glory and the honor. And all the saints say amen hallelujah hallelujah so i'm going to start out by giving us a quote by mr oswald chambers now this quote came from his devotional literature known as the utmost for his highest it's a very well circulated book inside the evangelical community full of nuggets and oswald chamber is a theologian of old he's got some of that old school amen he's got some of that elbow grease christianity amen and Oswald would chime in tonight on this topic of access granted, and he would say, the most important aspect of Christianity is not the work we do, but the relationship we maintain with God, and the surrounding influence and qualities produced by that relationship. That is all God asks us to give our attention to, and it is the one thing that is continually under attack. Amen. I think we are all in agreement tonight 
that the opportunity to enter the presence of God and to entertain his presence, amen, to consider the things above instead of being overrun by the things below, right? We are in no shortage on a daily basis of opportunities to consume the things that the world gives us to consume, amen? It comes by radio waves, internet uh, ads, banners, advertisement, billboards, going to the Barnes & Noble, you're going to see the largest section inside the Barnes & Noble is self-help books, right? 17 ways to a better marriage. 17? Really? Three ways to get quick, get rich quick overnight, right? Somebody say the devil is a lie. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 17 tonight. And so let's go ahead and jump right into the meat. If you guys are ready, I'm ready. We're going to start in the fifth verse. And the world reads like this. It says, the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. If anybody's got a water bottle, that would be appreciated. Thank you. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. All right, pause button right there. Now, the mulberry tree, uh, we, we are, and I would, I would venture to say that for the, for the biggest part of our uh, life and journey inside the Christianity realm or the evangelical community, that we have skipped right past this verse, and most of us have focused on the mustard seed, right? Uh, most of the teachings I've heard on this passage or that I've read uh, or set underneath, the focus of this passage was on the mustard seed. Can we, right? And, and the pastors would, would begin to tell you how small the seed is and that if it has growth, it, it produces one of the biggest trees. But tonight, I want us to focus on the mulberry tree. Now, there's a reason for this. So he says, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you could tell this mulberry tree to, re, uh, to replant itself or to redirect itself into the sea, right? Now, the mulberry tree is known for being between 30 to 50 feet tall. What it was most notably known for, thank you, brother, was for its width, not its height, so a mulberry tree uh, would most often have a span twice the width of its height. So along with that would come what, guys? A really big root system. And I heard one preacher teach about it one time, and he said that he was doing some ranch hand work uh, during his college years to bring in some extra money for his tuitions, room, and board, and that the ranch uh, owner had given them the task of uh, relocating this mulberry tree, of taking it out, uprooting it, but he wanted to destroy it. And he said they had a 10-acre John Deere, they had chainsaws, they had uh, you know, all the pulling systems, everything that you could ever want on a ranch, and they, him along with the rest of the guys on a crew went after this thing all day long, and they barely even made a dent in the mulberry tree. This is a very large tree. It's not beautiful, and it's inconvenient. So are we getting a picture? All right, we'll move on. Verse 7, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, which of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves? Somebody say, properly clothe yourselves. And serve me while I eat and drink. And afterward, you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we have ought to do. 
And so we need to take a quick look at what type of slaves these were. So in the Roman, uh, the Roman history, the time which this word would have been written, uh, the time when we would have seen these stories passed around, um, you would have been known for having a slave that was not a hourly wage slave, right? Uh, this slave would not have been somebody that would have honored a contract or the time within that contract and then went home and done his own thing, right? Uh, this would have been a slave that would have been all-inclusive meaning that every single second of every minute, of every hour, of every day, seven days a week, twice on Sunday, 365, are you tracking with me? Every single waking and sleeping moment of this slave's life would have been owed or due to the master. Amen? Now, some of these slaves would have indentured themselves to pay a family debt. Maybe their children got in some trouble. Uh, they spent a little bit too much time in Sin City. Okay, which you, you're right, you're checking with me. Uh, maybe there was a, a, a blow up and a family feud. Maybe they had uh, an original Hatford, uh, Hatfield and McCoy moment and some blood was spilled. And to prevent the child from going into prison, uh, oftentimes you would see sometimes parents and uncles or aunts indenture themselves for life to pay the debt that was owed. So this is the type of slave that we're looking at right here in this story. All right? So this slave would have been holy at the command of the masters. Now, I've done pretty much all that I want to do in setting up this text for us tonight. And if you guys are ready, I would like to, to go ahead and dive right into the takeaways. Amen? So I told you what I'm going to tell you. I've told you, and now I'm going to tell you what I told you. Amen? So let's go ahead and look at these takeaways. So let's go to the first one tonight, and we're going to be in Luke 17. We're going to pick it up in verse 7 and 8, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say unto him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourself, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterwards you may eat and drink? The first takeaway tonight is that access is granted when we accept our identity in Christ. I'll say it again. For you note takers out there, access is granted when we find our identity in Christ. Now, Brad Pitt was uh, recently interviewed by GQ magazine. Imagine that, right? Brad Pitt, who was freshly off of his divorce with Angelina Jolie, broke a lot of hearts, I know, right? And their six children. And so he found himself in the crosshairs of public uh, display, public talks, the he said, she said. He found himself right down front and center of the local peanut gallery and theater. You guys track with me. Brad Pitt, the man who has everything, right, the man who wants for nothing, the man that all guys want to be and all women want to be with. Are you tracking with me tonight, church? We're talking about a guy who has everything that the world's ever told you that you needed to have to be happy, right? A, a guy who was established, he was a man's man. Right? We've seen him masquerade on, on the film, uh, some of the films like Troy or Legends Under the Fall. Uh, he, he even did that crazy Adolf Hitler movie, right? We've seen him uh, basically portray the man's man most of our lives. Well, now he's 53 years old, amen? 
And so he was interviewed by GQ. Now GQ's photo photographer took him to three national parks to do this photo spread while they also did some very in-depth Q&A. And I want to share some of that Q&A with us tonight. And so I'm going to go ahead and start it out with something that Brad said. Brad said to this topic, he said, metaphors are my life. You strip down to the foundation and break out the mortar. I don't know. For me, this period has really been about looking at my weaknesses and failures and owning my side of the street. I'm a jerk when it comes to this need for justice. I don't know where it comes from, this hollow quest for justice for some perceived slight. I can drill on that for days and years. It's done me no good whatsoever. It's such a silly idea, the idea that the world is fair. And this is coming from a guy who hit the lottery. I'm well aware of that. I hit the lottery and I still would waste my time on these hollow pursuits. The interviewer says, that's the thing about becoming uh, um, unnumb. You have to stare down everything that matters to you. Brad answers and says, that's it. Sitting with those horrible feelings and needing to understand them and putting them into a place. In the end, you find I am those things I don't like. That it's a part of me. I can't deny that. I have to accept it. And in fact, I have to embrace it. I need to face that and take care of that. Because by denying it, I'm denying myself. I am those mistakes. For me, every misstep, though, has been a step towards an epiphany, an understanding, some kind of joy. Yeah, the avoidance of pain is a real mistake. It's the real missing out in life. It's those very things that shape us. Those very things that offer growth, that make the world a better place, oddly enough, ironically, that make us better. Now, this is a guy who would not profess himself to be a Christian in this moment, but I believe in looking in at this conversation that God's beginning to deal with him. I believe God's putting a desire in him to seek out that greater meaning and purpose in life. Uh, it was crazier. Earlier in the interview, he was asked about his upbringing, and he said that he came up in a stricter First Baptist church who was all about the do's and the don'ts, and they were very uh, proud about their ability to operate in moralistic ability. And then he said in his later teen years that his family joined a more evangelical movement uh, where they would uh, speak in tongues. And the interviewer asked him, he said, did you go there to speak in tongues? And, and he said, man, I wasn't even an actor yet, but I will say this, that the people believed and that they were releasing something. Amen? So even Brad Pitt would acknowledge the truth and the value in what we operate here at Victory Life. Are you talking to me tonight, church? That we are releasing groanings, as Romans 8.26 says, groanings too deep for words to express. So Brad Pitt is saying in this interview that he is searching for a true identity and that he has wasted his whole life in pursuit of that justice or of that, that hollow pursuit of joy by the world's standard. And he says even to himself that he admits he hit the lottery. This is a guy that didn't have a one or anything. Hey, but let's look at somebody else real quick. Anybody know the quarterback of the New England Patriots? What's his name? Jesus. What? It's a joke. Tom Brady, right? Tom Brady uh, had a very uh, famous moment with 60 Minutes on CBS, and he was in, being interviewed, and this was after his third Super Bowl. And Tom Brady said, man, after pursuing a dream and a goal my entire life and finally achieving it, finally reaching that place that I had been sacrificing and preparing for my whole life, he said, man, and this is after three Super Bowls. He's got six now, guys. 
He said, man, there's got to be something better than this. Again, a guy who every guy wishes they were and every woman wishes they were with. Are you tracking with me? He's married to Gazelle or Giselle or whatever her name is, right? Are you tracking with me tonight, church? So these are people that I, uh, that I bring out before you tonight to look at and say, hey, brother, they at best lived a junior varsity version of what King Solomon did in Ecclesiastes. And they found nothing of true value under the sun because they were choosing to have an identity in the world instead of an identity in Christ. And my first point tonight, church, as we look at this topic together, is that access is granted when we accept our identity in Christ. Now let's look at this because he calls the subject of this, uh, this, uh, this story um, the, uh, a slave, right? Well, Coloss- uh, Paul would t- chime in on this topic in Colossians 1 and 7. Subsection A, and he would say, just as you learned it from Ephros, our beloved fellow bondservant, in Colossians 4.12, he says, Ephros, who is one of your number, a bondslave of Jesus Christ. I want you guys to look real quick at a word search for the Greek for slave, servant, bondservant, and that word is soma. Now, soma in the Greek means body. Now, we, uh, some of us have fallen victim to that word. Hello? Right? Amen? I got the right crowd here tonight? All right, y'all aren't being too holy then, and we'll go forward. So what he would say tonight is that Jesus has a desire to have access of our lives as though we are a body that he can move about as he wishes at the pace and speed he desires to the location and destination that he ordains for us in total control. And what the Paulinian text would say to us tonight is that when we achieve this place in life, for that brevity of moment, we have found our identity in Christ. But the, but the truth is, whether we are in the capacity of a co-laborer or a slave, we cannot merit the rewards of God. We can't. Don't take my word for it. In Romans 11 and 33, the word of the Lord reads like this. Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things, and to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The first undeniable fact of the night is that if you don't have an identity in Christ, then you are in the midst of an identity crisis. Amen. For the note takers, I'll repeat myself. First undeniable fact tonight. This is undeniable. Amen. This is irrefutable. If you do not have an identity in Christ, then you are in the midst of an identity crisis. Hallelujah. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we go in and out of that role on a daily basis, right? Second to second. Hey, if, if I put my thoughts up on that screen right now that I've had just since I entered this room tonight, we would all be running for the hills. Are you tracking with me? Hello. Hey, brother, I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. Can I get a witness? The second undeniable fact tonight is that when we accept our identity in Christ, we go from captive to conqueror. Amen. 
You see, the man he's talking about in this story is a slave. But what I want to suggest to us tonight is that when we accept our identity in Christ, we go from captive to conqueror. It's a shift. It's a paradigm shift. We'll go ahead and move it on to the second takeaway tonight. In the ninth chapter of Luke 17, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded. Does he? The second takeaway tonight is access is granted when we see work as worship. Amen? Work. The second takeaway tonight is that access is granted when we begin to see work as worship. Amen? Work, anything that we put our hand to. And it will stay work as long as we see it as just that. But the moment that we begin to transition, first achieving our identity in Christ, we will begin to experience, somebody say experience, we'll begin to experience work as worship, amen? It's something I get to do, not something I have to do. It's all about perception. Life is about momentum, amen? When I played football in college at the Division I level, amen, I was 255 pounds, 20 pounds heavier, about 25 pounds heavier than I am right now, almost 30 pounds heavier than I am right now okay now I was a defensive end so the average person I fired off against was usually three to four inches taller than me I'm six two on average at the division one level in college football your your offensive tackles are about six five to six six they're also about on average 330 pounds so you do the math 255 to 330 you got a little bit of a conversion going on right there but the truth was if I could hit them first Faster and quicker than they got their hands on me, I had momentum and I was able to conquer them. Are you tracking with me tonight, church? Life in the same breath, in the same idea, is all about perception and momentum, amen? When we take the momentum of our identity in Christ into the work that we do, it ceases to be work, it ceases to be something I have to do, and it transitions into the land of something I get to do. It's worship, hallelujah. Amen. I got one clap. We'll work on the delivery. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'll read that verse again. All right. Thank you. Thank you. It says, he does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? You see, he couldn't thank the slave because the slave was working for a wage. Amen. The slave was working for a wage. In John 10 and 11, it says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays his life down. For the sheep, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. And he flees because the hired hand is not concerned about the sheep. You see, the master could not honor the slave as a, a co-laborer because he was working for a wage. He wasn't working to worship. Are you guys struggling with me tonight? So the second takeaway, the first one is access is granted when we accept our identity Christ. The second one is access is granted when we see work as worship. Undeniable fact number two, the power isn't in our ability to push. Resurrection power comes through relationship. Amen? Resurrection power comes through relationship. We all have ministry duties and obligations. Amen? Outside these walls, there's a really, really big world. Amen? And it comes to us on every single waking moment. As sons and daughters of God, we are given a calling to walk in. Amen? 
And in that calling, there is no shortage of opportunities to serve, to to deny self, and to sacrifice. But we can't lose sight of the whole purpose, and the whole purpose is relationship. You see, Jesus saw a need in the world that he had come into, and the need was for access to the holies of holies. So the veil was torn from top to bottom to release the holies of holies into the entire earth. Are you tracking me tonight? He gave access, kingdom access. Third takeaway tonight, Luke 17 and 8, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, but will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, you may eat and drink. Now, the wages for a slave in this time and date was meat, drink, and clothes. That was their wage. Amen? That we've already established that they wholly belong to the master. They, there was not a time when they would leave, amen, and go back to their family or go back to, they had written that off. They had recognized that they had a need that was greater than anything under the sun, and the only way for them to experience freedom from the pains of that need was to wholly give themselves to the master, amen? And I suggest to you tonight that the same is true for you and I today. The only true freedom exists when we wholly give ourselves over to the master because my salvation can't come on my terms. That would be a jaded salvation at best. Are you tracking me tonight? True freedom only exists in unconditional surrender. We can't have our way out on our terms. It doesn't exist that way. That's not how God operates. God is not a quid pro quo God. It's not I do this for you, so you do this for me. No, it's all of you for all of him. That is the only place that Christianity truly exists. But those aren't words that pack out stadiums and fill pews on Sunday morning but it's the truth hallelujah and the truth will set you free but the truth will not set you free until the truth is done dealing with you you can't have your solution on your terms it doesn't work that way that's not freedom that's your dictatorship and you aren't a very good god hello you aren't a very good king if you were we would be worshiping you hello There is only one. His name's Jesus. Amen. And he doesn't want to take from you. He wants to give you everything. But first you have to give him everything. There's no bartering in the house of God. There's no exchange currency in the house of God. It's all of me for all of him. It's not a once and done though. Amen. It's not a once and done. The wages for slaves was meat and drink. Now watch this. John 4 and 34, and the word of the Lord reads like this. Jesus said to them, because this slave was all worried about his food, about his wages, about his meat, his drink, and his clothes. He was worried about getting what he deserved, what was coming to him, what he was entitled to, what he needed. Hallelujah. And the the master said, first you take care of me, and then I'll take care of you. John 4 and 34, Jesus chimes in. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. And to accomplish his work. Amen. Do you want to know what the will of the Father is? Thanks for asking. Go with me real quick to Matthew 25. We're going to pick it up in 35. And we'll start there. I'll give you guys a second to get there. Yeah, this guy's all worried about food. And Jesus said, hey, my food is to do the will of my Father. That's what my food is. God's been trying to call me into a fast for the last couple days. I'm having a hard time breaking into it. Just being honest with you guys, right? Pastor's going to be back tomorrow, and we've been 
talking about going into a fast, right? A couple of us, some of the leaders, some of the headship. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to deny yourself, amen? Especially something as elemental as food. But you know what I find convenient is that Jesus is constantly talking about food. He loved food. He showed up for the third time in his resurrection body and says, hey, bro, y'all got any meat? I'm hungry. Right? They've been fishing all night. We don't have time to go into that story. All right, Matthew 25 and 35, and the word of the Lord reads like this. This is Jesus talking here, red letters. Somebody say red letters. He says, for I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did, you, when did we see you as a stranger invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And then the king will answer them and say to them, Truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you have done it unto me. You don't know what the will of the Father is? Love in every way you can. And every opportunity that he lends you. Amen. If I was on a market for a Jeep Cherokee, I would see a Jeep Cherokee everywhere when I drove around town. Because I'm looking for it. If you're on the market for an opportunity to express the love of the Father, there is no shortage. And he will continually reveal those opportunities to you and then empower you to walk into them. But watch this. Wait a minute. We're so worried about our food and our drink and what's coming to us. We're so worried about meriting the favor of God on our lives that we miss the whole point resurrection power exists in relationship it's all about the relationship it's not how much you know it's how much time you spend with him how much does he know you in the old testament it says i call you by name Name means Shem in Hebrew. Shem is the personhood or the presence of. The king of the universe is calling your presence. He is summoning your personhood, the person that is you. Not only did he send his son to die for you, but he requests at every moment of every day in the history of Everton for your presence so that he can enjoy you. Because when you saw nothing worth living for, he saw something worth dying for. The fourth takeaway tonight, Luke 17 and 10, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, so you too, when you do all things, somebody say all things, which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. We cannot honor the master, guys, until we acknowledge where our heart naturally falls. The fourth takeaway tonight is access is granted when we begin to honor the master. But honoring the master is, is, is begins with acknowledging where our heart naturally falls, where our heart naturally drifts, where our heart naturally uh, attends. Are you guys trying with me tonight, church? We have to acknowledge first where our heart naturally grows. Now, Jeremiah 17 and 9 would say this, that the heart is more deceitful than anything else, and it is desperately sick who can know it? Matthew 25, and we're going to pick up at 26. I'm going to give you guys a second to get there. Now, we, uh, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. This is the parable of the talents. We're, we're going to chime in on the tail end of that parable. He gave one, uh, he gave one of the servants 
a certain amount of uh, talents. He gave the other one uh, some more, and then he gave the other guy one talent. The last guy had one talent, and he did nothing with it. He sat on it. He stored it. He dug a hole, and he buried it and waited for the master to return. And we're going to pick it up right there. The fourth takeaway tonight is that access is granted when we begin to honor the master. But we can't honor the master until we start acknowledging where our heart naturally goes. We'll go into the 26th verse, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, but his master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave. You know that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank, and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. And he will have an abundance. Somebody say abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless slave into the outer darkness, into the place where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You see, the lazy slave didn't see the talent for what it was. It's a gift. Let me illustrate it like this. Anybody ever seen an orange tree? Anybody been to Florida? If not in person, you've seen it on some commercials, right? So an orange tree, it's beautiful, wide branches, very hardy branches, and they've got the fruit on it, the orange. Now watch this. Does the orange tree have the ability to consume the fruit? No. The fruit on the branches of the orange tree were created and only ever intended to be harvested by the ones around the tree and to bless those around the tree. The tree as gifts. Are you guys talking to me tonight, church? Amen? You see, the slave remained a slave. They stayed stuck on stupid because they refused to see the talent for what it is. And what it is is not work. What it is is not a duty. It's not an obligation. It's a delight. It's an opportunity. What it is is a gift. And a gift is received to be given. But a gift is given to guide those to the giver. Amen? A lot of G's right there. A lot of alliteration, uh, alliteration going on right there. Assimilated rhyme. For you old school Baptists that are still here and in the process of conversion, I just stimulated your assimilated rhyme need for the night. So that's a check mark real quick for Pastor Corey. We're going to keep it moving. But gifts are given to guide the gift, the, those that receive the gifts to the giver. Somebody say gifts are forgiving. So forgive and start giving. All right. That was impromptu off the dome, freestyle, two points. Undeniable fact number five tonight. I just gave it to you, but I'll give it to you again. Gifts are given to guide us to the giver, and when we start doing this, we become friends of God. Amen? No longer slaves. Somebody say no longer slaves. We begin to start seeing the talents the opportunities, the callings, the obligations, what the world calls as work, as opportunities to worship, as gifts to give out so that we can guide those that are lost to the giver. Amen? All right. When we do this, we become friends of God. John 15, that's pretty powerful. And we're going to start in verse 12. The word of the Lord reads like this. The Apostle John chimes in on this. It says, this is my commandment, Jesus talking here, that you would love one another just as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends 
And if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you slaves. For the slave does not know what his master is doing. The slave doesn't know because he's so focused on his kingdom instead of the kingdom of his master. For the slave does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Somebody say known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain. Hallelujah. Somebody say amen. So that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give to you. This I command you, that you would love one another. We've been talking a lot about food tonight, amen. We've been talking a lot about fruit tonight. Let's go to the last and final takeaway tonight. We're going to pick it up in the fifth verse of Luke 17. And I'll give you guys a second to get there. Amen. Luke 17 and 5, and the word of the Lord reads like this. It says, the apostles said to the Lord... Increase our faith, and the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, the fifth takeaway and the final takeaway tonight is that access is granted when you identify the door. Amen? So number one, we have an identity in Christ. Number two, we begin to see work as worship. Number three, we begin to see uh, his food, right? Let's read that. Yeah. Hunger for his food, right? And then number four, access is granted when we begin to honor the master. And number five, access is granted when we identify the door. Now, we've prepared ourselves. We've approached the building. The building is the feast of the Father's love. There's a celebration going on inside of this building, and we want to get in. It's the kingdom. We want access to that building. Can I get an amen in the house of God tonight? And so the fifth takeaway tonight is that access is granted when we identify the door. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, I want to go back to the mulberry tree. Amen. We've already established how big and gargantuan the mulberry tree is, how tall it is, but more notably how wide it is, how uh, abundant the root system would have been. But I want to leave us tonight with what the mulberry tree symbolized. See, because Jesus was releasing conversation in a time when there was in, uh, letters of antiquity or letters of antiquity circulated, right? So there was already circulated books, stories, the, the ancient stories, the heroics, the love stories. This mulberry tree symbolized the original Romeo and Juliet. Amen. Don't take my word for it. In Ovid, the metamorphosis, the metamorphosis, Elliot, you're getting me again. The Metamorphosis book number four. I love you. You can, yes. All right, I'll move forward. It's getting awkward. You have the Babylonian loves, Pyramus and Thisbe. So our two main characters are Pyramus and Thisbe in this old heroic love story, the original Romeo and Juliet. Now, Pyramus and Thisbe, they are, uh, they have the Greek gods to thank for at least, and this is what they believed in this time, 
for some of the confusion. But in short, Pyramus and Thisbe were denied their love of each other by their families. So they chose to run off together. Okay? Now, Thisbe, which is the woman, believe it or not, Pyramus would have sounded like possibly the female name, but it's actually Thisbe. Thisbe was to meet her love, Pyramus, at, uh, below the mulberry tree right outside of town. Now, at this time, mulberry trees were known for having white leaves. They were very beautiful and abundant in their white leaves, and it was harvest time, so they would have been full force out. And so she was waiting, Thisbe was waiting, and while she was waiting for her lover, Pyramus, to come, there was a lioness that approached from stage left. Are you talking me to night church now this lioness had blood dripping from her jawline from a kill that she had just devoured and so of course Thisbe runs into the nearby cave and she makes it just in time but when in the pursuit of the lioness her shawl falls off of her shoulders and is right below the mulberry tree now her white shawl of course picks up some blood as the lioness is, is walking over the shaw. Are you talking with me tonight, church? So her shaw, Thisbe, would have been drenched with a little, little spickle of blood. And now as uh, Pyramus enters stage left, the same place that the, the lion came, he sees the hind end uh, quarters of this lion running towards a cave. He doesn't see Thisbe at all. So he's wondering where his love is. And once you know it, he looked down and saw her shaw on the ground drenched in blood. He had just seen the lioness, which he ran off upon seeing because he wanted to protect the ground for his love that was soon to come in any time, right? But when he saw and laid eyes upon the shaw, he realized that his love had been taken by the lioness. Now, little did he know that she was safely tucked inside the cave, but wouldn't you know it, he took his dagger just like Romeo and Juliet, and he fell on it. And with his last breath, he saw Pyramus coming from the cave, and she saw him falling to the ground. He fell on his sword, and she came in. And with all the confusion, she saw her shawl, and she could not believe it. This was the love of a lifetime, right? This is that ballad from uh, Happy Gilmore. The ice rink scene, you know what I'm talking about, Right? And so she sees the blood, she sees her lover, and she too chooses to fall on her sword, on the dagger. So they both take their life. And the, as the heroic, as the ancient heroic maintains to this day, God in his grace chose to change the leaves from being white to being mulberry red to honor the death of Pyramus and Thisbe. Now what I want you to see inside this ancient heroic, this ancient love story, is that what you have here is a case of misplaced affection. You see, to Pyramus and Thisbe, their whole world was the love of another. What I want to suggest to us tonight is that Jesus is asking us to identify what our mulberry tree is. What, what that symbolizes. For you, maybe it's a job. For you, maybe it's a broken relationship. For you, maybe it's children. Right? What is the mulberry tree in your life that has haunted you your entire adulthood years? Jesus would say to us tonight that if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you could tell your mulberry tree, the thing that symbolizes the very thing that has robbed you of life, that has taken the breath out of your lungs, the very thing that has robbed you from healthy relationships, from healthy workplaces, from being consistent, from being a provider for your family, from being com a common fixture in the narrative of your family story. Are you trying to be tonight, church? He would say to you tonight that if you had just the faith 
faith of a mustard seed that you could tell your mulberry tree to move. Now, your mulberry tree is the door. Now, Jesus tells us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Come on, somebody. And if anybody hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. Worship team, you guys can start coming up. The fifth and final takeaway tonight is access is granted when we identify the door. When we identify the master's ability to destroy the door. The misplaced affection. Because the truth is the only freedom in this thing called life exists when we place our affection on the one who is and is to come. The ancient of days. The great I am. The Messiah. Yahweh. Are you trying with me tonight, church? The only freedom in life exists when we begin to place our affections on the creator, on the giver. And so we have been given gifts, amen? We've been given duties in this thing called life. Obligations, responsibilities, we all have them. Welcome to life, brother, sister. Welcome to life. Are you tracking with me? But isn't it easy for us inside of this thing called Christianity to feel so accomplished in our Christian duties and tasks that we come in from the field and we skip communing with the giver altogether. Well, I led a Bible study today, so I don't have to go into my prayer closet when I get home. Oh, I caught corporate prayer once, and I was asleep at least half of the time. I mean, I was awake, sorry. Conviction fall on me. Right? Well, I, I witnessed to a stranger at the gas pumps, so when I get home from work, I'm exhausted. I've been working all day. I don't have to dine and sup with the maker, with my master. I don't have to commune with him. We feel so accomplished in doing only what we've been asked to do. Hey, let's all do this for us real quick. Can we all just, let's get this over with. Good job. Good job side of the whole point the maker of everything calls you to commune to dine and sup because guess what there is no identity in gifts there's no freedom inside of your gifts that were given and Paul would even say that your calling and gifts come without repentance You can operate in the name of Jesus all day long. It will never return void because the name of Jesus is infallible. But you can miss out on the whole point. The whole point is the relationship. On my good days, amen, my good days, I always make it a point to get along with God when I come home from a long day of work. Before I go to my wife, before I go to that beautiful little baby boy, right? 
on my good days. Looking back, I could see that most of my bad evenings came because I short-stepped the communion altogether and I went straight into feeding my flesh. Can we be honest tonight? I've been out fundraising all day. I'm exhausted. I fundraised 100 loaves. I put up with a new brother that called me out. Or the new sister that, right? So I'm accomplished. I don't need to have private time with Jesus. Andy Minio would say it like this. I don't want to talk about God more than I talk to God. Woo! So let's wrap it up. The gospel is news. Did you know that? The gospel is not counsel. Right? The gospel is news of a historical event that happened. It actually happened. Did you know that even the scientific weather logs, they date all the way back to that time. That they even record a period in the middle of a day when it went completely black for three hours. Nobody can explain how or why. Even the weather logs document what happened on that day. In case you missed it, let me read it to you. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The good news of Jesus Christ is that you were lost but now you were found. That you were blind but now you see. The good news is news. It's not counsel. So now you have to respond to it. The only thing we can do to news is respond to it. Write your own headline. Am I going to put my faith in the giver today or in my gifts? If it's the section op- if it's the second option, I feel sorry for you. There's no freedom there. Take it from me. There's no freedom there. Hello. You can preach the greatest sermon that you think has ever been preached in the history of mankind. But if that's your identity, then there is no freedom in that place. God can use you to give sight to somebody who has never seen in their entire life. And if your identity is in being a healer, there is no freedom in that place. You can be used by God to evangelize an entire continent single-handedly in one day. And the, uh, the prophet Isaiah would say, it's filthy rags. There is no freedom in that place. The freedom is with the giver. It's not the gift. So let's all save ourselves a lot of heartache, a lot of wasted time and energy. Because guess what? The gospel isn't about me. Amen? The gospel is about Jesus. The gospel is about the next son or daughter that I can be used to bring into the Father's love. The feast and celebration. The wedding feast of the Lamb. Are you guys struggling with me tonight? Freedom exists when we identify our door and we allow the maker of the heavens and the earth to destroy it, to give us access into the Holy of Holies. Stand right there. Father, we love you the best way we know how. But Father, we admit that our love is tainted. Our love has agendas and motives and entitlement and misplaced affection riddled all through our love. 
but you sent your comforter to lead, guide, and direct us, Father. We have a desire to abandon our gifts for you, the giver. We have a desire to go into a greater understanding of who you are in us, not who we are. We thank you, Holy Ghost, for your presence here. And we ask that you would render us motionless under the blanket of your love. That you would empower us to go forth with ferocity to abandon our identity in our gifts and pursue with everything with a vengeance the giver amen